0: So today is a little bit of a different way of going about things. We're going to be answering. I have three questions. Uh, the ones I have were brilliant. I just want to commend you for your question asking abilities. It was really, really precious to see your your, your obviously thinking, feeling, moving, stirred in heart, wanting to know more of God. So uh, I'm going to go through these in the order that they came to me. Uh, I won't I won't mention who wrote them just in case because you didn't. I didn't get your permission to mention your name, but uh, the first one is a two-part question, and they're both uh, uh, in line with uh, some of the attributes of God. We've been speaking about the attributes of God. The first one is about God's omnipotence. Omni meaning all potency, p- potence, uh, power, all the all-powerful nature of God. Does God have any limits that are not <clears throat> of his own making? An example would be, can God create a rock that is too heavy for him to lift up I'm sure many of you have uh, heard that question before uh, skeptics actually use that in if you see ever see a debate uh, between an atheist uh, or an agnostic and, and a believer. Uh, <clears throat> if it gets onto the power of God, that will be a question that is 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 raised up in, in one of the uh, ways to try to sort of get you type thing. Um, so th- the question is, is God's omnipotence have any limits? Um, and, and so. It sounds like if, if he if he can't make a rock that he can pick up or if he can pick up a rock that he is too heavy for him, then uh, somehow he, he has lost his ability to be um, uh, omnipotent. One of the great things about the attributes of God is how that they are all one. God is one, as the Hebrews would pray to the Lord every day, thanking him for one. And we've talked that, about that before, that him being one does not just simply mean um He's uh, uh, the monistic God that He's just one um, God because He's He's in three parts. He's in three: the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that God is one. But He's also speaking of the unity of all of God's attributes. There, that that everything uh, of God is 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 one. The Westminster Confession, the Belgic Confession, uh, all all of those state this very thing: that that God is omnipotent, unchanging, immutable. Uh, All-powerful, and so we see his attributes are not in part. That's another thing the Westminster Confession says that God is not made up of parts. Uh, and this is a long way around to answer this question, but so so just take a moment to look at God not being in parts. First of all, they mean by the meaning of that they mean bodily. Um, so uh, this may be strange for some of you that but that God God doesn't have a physical body. Uh, uh, The Bible says that God is a spirit Uh, and Jesus said a spirit you can touch me. I'm not a spirit because spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. And so put those two scriptures together. God is a spirit who does not have flesh and bones. Only in the the humanity of Christ is there the bodily form of God. That's the the, 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 they call it the hypostatic union. God uh, being in Christ, uh, both divine, having been fully, fully God and fully man. So. Again, like I said, I'm going the long way around the, around the, around the block here to get to the answer. Uh, but these are these things are helpful to help us understand the nature and character <clears throat> of God. So so God, it, there, there's 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 a thing called uh, there's ways that we can understand the message, the revelation of God. One is called univocal. Uh, a, a univocal situation is things that two things that sound uh, almost the same. Um, so, so if I were to say to you, uh, I was going to the bank to deposit some money and on the way I was walking by the river and I slipped on the riverbank in the mud and fell into the water. Both words are using the word bank, right? But they're, they have two different meanings and that's univocal. They, they're two, the same words that mean different things. And sometimes with God, it means something different. Uh, another one is equivocal, which means th- those ones, there are two different things um, <clears throat> that th- they are said in two different ways, but they they have the same word. The third one is called analogical. And an analogical uh, way of phrasing things or speaking of things or thinking of things is where we have, we'll use a word and it will mean something, but it's, some, it's somewhat different in, in that. So. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry. So when we say uh, God looks upon uh, the sin of man, well, knowing that he's a spirit and doesn't have, a few, there's no place we can look to and God like if we could get to that place, we'd finally see there's this being of God that's in a bodily form other than Jesus. And he has eyes and his nose and his ears. So when the Bible speaks, it speaks analogically. His eyes see, his ears hear, his uh, strong right arm. Um, th- these are analogical ways of speaking <coughs> of God. And so I say all that to say God not only has the uh, the, the no body parts, but, but when it comes to uh, his characteristics, his nature, his attributes, they are all one. They're, they're not split and divided like ours are. So today I might be more gracious and patient. Uh, Tomorrow, less so uh, because my parts fight against each other uh, or circumstantially certain things hit me and my response becomes more anger or my response is I see somebody and I respond in compassion. And so my my parts, kindness, graciousness, loving, anger, fierceness, lust, pride, all these parts I have within me, uh, Paul says they wrestle against one another. Uh, but in Christ and in God, there's no wrestling of his parts, because just like he has no physical parts, his, his attributes are not in part. He's not part mercy and part wrath and part love and part kindness and, and part justice and part uh, graciousness. He is all one. Uh, that, that is another attribute of God that is almost never spoken of in church. It's called the aseity of God. And a say means of himself. He is of himself. He is just as he is. In other words, he's not like a a God who brought into himself um, a little bit more love today. And I, I got to really work on that kindness or I got to get rid of that anger, that anger problem. I need to go to anger ca- management counseling. Uh, no, all, all of God's he, uh, attributes are not just parts of him. Like I'm learning to love. I'm learning to be kind. I'm learning uh, to sometimes be angry when I need to be. These are things that I'm putting on, uh, but they are not essential to who I am. They're not of my aseity of myself. Uh, they, they are given to me by outside sources. God gave me these things. God, Nobody gave God anything. What he is is who he is. So God is not loving. God is love. God is not trying to be wise or doing wise things only he is wise he is wisdom itself he is power itself he is knowledge itself he is he is love itself that is who he is is it's not what just what he's doing and so when it comes back to this question then god is 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 uh, his omnipotence uh, is a perfection uh, one, one of his attributes is, uh, all, of these, all of these attributes are done in perfection, so his omnipotence is perfect, and therefore his perfections can't be imperfect, that would be to change God, God is immutable, he can't change so he's perfect in his power, so his power can't change, to do something that is contradictory like uh, be the Trinity, but don't be the Trinity uh, be love God as you are but then don't be love, that's that's not power that's lack of power that that's to be powerless to be able to be to be to be mutable to change like we are that's that's our lack of because we're not omnipotent we're not all powerful we change and therefore we are not perfect god in his perfection is <clears throat> is has no contradictions so he will not contradict himself by trying to p- make a rock that he can't pick up and uh, do things that are uh against his nature, his character, uh, <clears throat> of the essence of who, who he, of he is. The aseity of God is his perfections. That's who he is. The second question comes from the same person and it's and it's uh, even more difficult for me to answer, more challenging, but I won't take quite as long to answer this one. Um, and basically the question, I reworded it for my own understanding. Uh, how can a lake of fire exist if God is void in its presence? if God is void in his presence. uh, uh, First, second Thessalonians um, one nine speaks about in a flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who obey, do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will suffer punishment was second Thessalonians one nine. They will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of He, uh, this is my verse ten. And when He comes on that day to be glorified, <coughs> excuse me, uh, in His saints. How can? Uh, so this is the this is the question, of of uh, omnipresence, all present, everywhere present. Um, if God had a body, like we were talking about before, His body would have to be sort of the size of the universe, uh, because He's present everywhere. Uh, so, so the so the spirit of God is able to be contained, not contained, but able to be present everywhere at, at all times in time and space and beyond time and space, outside of the realm. He God doesn't just exist in our limited universe. He created our universe, but He exists omnipresent uh, in and outside of every element there is. Uh, God, being a spirit, He he is there. There's nowhere that he is not. He is everywhere at all times. You can't. So the scriptures that talk about that. Uh, Jeremiah 23 verse 24 says, can a man hide himself in hiding places? Um, David said, you know, if I go up to the highest of heavens, or if I go down to the pits of Sheol, uh, there, there your presence is with me. So it almost sounds like a contradiction here to to some small degree that God would be on one hand, saying that, you know, you're going to depart from me. And that's what he actually says that in, in uh, Matthew. Depart from me, for I never knew you. So there has this sense of somebody, somebody has left the presence of God. And then there's this other sense. Well, God, if he's everywhere, is he everywhere except? <coughs> is he everywhere except in in hell? Um, so let's take a, a closer look at this. Uh, the the word in Second Thessalonians. Uh, for presence there is prosopon. Uh, and prosopon is, is a, a different word. Uh, it means uh, the personal face, like you are face to face with. You're actually uh, seeing his presence. You are, you, you're you not just in the omnipresence of the generic, so to speak, that God is everywhere at all time, but you actually, like Solomon, coming into the temple. You've come into his presence, to the glory, to the love, to to the fullness of the, of the face and the majesty of God. that's That word seems to speak of that and saying, okay, so you've left that presence. Now in, in uh, Revelation 14.10, uh, there's another way of looking at the same question. <clears throat> Revelation 14.10 says, uh, and he will drink the wine of God's wrath poured out in full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the Lord, and his holy angels in the presence of the lamb. So now here's a picture of hell being, uh, people being tormented eternally in the presence of God, in the presence of holy angels, and in the presence of the lamb. Well, the Greek word there is different than the one in, in um, <clears throat> first and second Thessalonians 1, 9. Uh, that in second Thessalonians, it's prosopon, meaning a personal face. Uh, in this one, it's enopon, meaning before. Uh, so it's it, the, the picture you're painting here is more of like, not that personal intimate relationship, but maybe a king sitting on the throne or a judge standing above a courtroom. And it's you're still in the presence. You're not in that personal presence, but you are before the majesty you were before. I think this picture is painted quite well in Luke 16, when it, Jesus tells the story of Lazarus. And he seems to paint a picture of two sides, uh, the, the rich man now in hell and torment and Lazarus who had suffered his whole life now on the other side and a great gulf fixed between them. Well, he he could see on the other side, he could sense there was another side, the rich man, and he, he calls it, bring Lazarus over to my side. That he might. Uh, Now this is probably more Jesus teaching in parabolic form, but at the same time, it, it has this rich analogy, if you will, of of, of, of this picture of, of the presence of God is, is with the rich man on the other side. He, 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 he can see that God is still there, but yet he's not in the presence of God. He's not walking with God. He's not in that intimate relationship <coughs> with God. He's, he's, he's seeing he's seeing God uh, from, a, from a distance, so to speak, even though the presence of the Lord. So to answer that question, I would say that the omnipresence of the Lord, he is everywhere and every place. I believe he's in the highest heavens, the deepest of hells, there's nowhere you can go, anywhere God is not, there is no longer existence because God, First Corinthians, Colossians tells us, uh, first chapter of Colossians, that he holds all things together. He holds everything together in your life. He holds your family together. He holds your finances together. He holds your health together. He holds your breath together. He holds your sleep together. He holds your waking up together. He, he holds your peace together. He holds your joy together. Everything that you have is held together by, by God. <laughs> and even when judgment comes and there's a separation of, of the and a gulf fixed between uh the, the it'll be, it will be the power and the presence of god that will make hell a, an eternal reality i do believe by the way in an eternal hell you know some people believe in a cessation of hell that that there there's a the destruction of the of uh, uh of uh, for eternity you' you're, you're annihilated is is the way they talk about it i, I don't believe that i believe Uh, that hell is eternal. Some people have asked me, how how can you believe hell is eternal? Like somebody sinned for 50 years on earth and they're going to have to spend billions of years in punishment just for those 50 years. Well, no, they're not going to have to spend 50 eternity in hell because of 50 years. They're going to have to spend eternity in hell because of eternity of sin. Uh, They have rebelled and fought tooth and nail against God for their whole life. And when they get into hell, they're not going to change and go all of a sudden like, Oh, now, now I'm going to want to turn to God, and now I want to repent, and now I want to love Jesus. When they get in hell, they're going to they're going to be more hellish, and more rebellious, and more angry at God, and more shaking an angry fist. So they they in a sense keep themselves locked in the pit uh, because of and of course then grace is not available to them uh, either. So they they are being punished not just for five years, ten years, fifty years, but for an eternity. All right, so I've got two more questions. Um, uh, this this question is about the the, uh, the wrath of God, and it's an amazing question. I really love it. And I kind of had to wrestle with it a bit uh, this past week as I've been just trying to look, look at this a little bit. Um, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody can give us a big shout of amen and hallelujah there. Uh, he's not destined us for wrath, Jesus took the wrath of God upon Himself. He suffered in our place. He stood condemned, and so you are washed, you are cleansed, you are made righteous in Christ Jesus. But not all have been made righteous, and uh, and therefore (coughs) there are obviously those who are going to suffer uh, the eternal uh, anger and uh, wrath. The wrath of God will be poured about on them. OK, just as briefly as I can, the wrath of God was was clear. Uh, it was clear in the Old Testament. Uh, we see uh, in Deuteronomy 32, 25, 35 says vengeance is mine and recompense for the time their foot thou slip and their day of calamity is at hand. Um, and so in the Old Testament, there was there was clear picture and I can, you know, we can go through hundreds of verses Uh, about the wrath of God in the Old Testament. And then there's the wrath of God to come. Uh, This is found more clearly in in the book of Revelation. Um, Revelation, I'll just read real quickly. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, if you're turning with me in your Bible, Revelation 1915 speaks um, of a future wrath. Uh, Revelation uh, 1915. For his mouth, uh, from his mouth comes a sharp sword, to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. <clears throat> so there's the last days, uh, the judgment day, uh, of the the wrath of God. Uh, in between those, uh, and this is where we live, there there's a lot of questions about the wrath of God. Uh, early American days, men like Jonathan Edwards would preach. Sermons such as sinners in the hands of an angry God and he would talk about sinners being held up like a spider over a raging fire and God at any minute just could release his hand and drop you into it and and you'd fall into the eternal wrath of God need to turn from that wrath of God. There was a strong preaching uh, on the wrath of God. Well, turn turn a few generations later and and you have uh, Dale Carnegie, uh, supposed Christian. You have uh uh, preachers like Joel Osteen, who who will will tell you clearly, I, I don't preach against sin. I'm not called to do that. I, 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 I'm here to encourage uh, the 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 um, the the the, um, the the positive thinking thing that has has totally taken wrath out of the current day picture. And some of that is even theologically based. Many theologians are saying there was a wrath in the Old Testament, uh, but then Christ took all wrath away, so there is no wrath. Well, the the mistake there is the wrath of God is 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 not uh, imputed to those who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ or who have been washed and cleansed. So that you're not under wrath. Jesus took the wrath of the believer. Those who who are who are washed in the blood uh, are now no longer under wrath. Doesn't mean there's no more wrath today. Uh, and, and so uh, uh, Richard Niebuhr said, says this uh, that that uh, the, from the term from uh, the preaching of the wrath of God, from from the first generation of Americans that that, that preached that Jonathan Edwards type thing, to, to the current trends of today, he says what what we're doing is painting a picture of a God without wrath, who brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministration of a church, of a Christ without a cross. And so, Christ is this nice guy. He's friendly. He's loving. Uh, and there's no, he has no judgment, and uh, there, God has no wrath. So, so basically, we're already right with God. So do what you want to do, and so that, so that's not biblical at all. Romans, uh, if you can go to Romans chapter, uh, Romans chapter two, <coughs> Romans one and two is is clearly speaking about the wrath of God. Romans two five says, um, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when uh, the judgment is revealed. Um, And then uh, actually in um, even prior to that, 118 says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So you see there's a, in these two chapters, there's the future coming of the wrath of God, but also there's a wrath of God that's being revealed uh, in the Greek, there—that is, uh, in the present tense—it is now, in this time, there is wrath being revealed. Um, I'd say about 90% of charismatic Pentecostal Christians believe uh, that we will escape the judgment day wrath of God um, in terms of escaping the tribulation um, because of the Scripture verse says, "You know, we're we're not uh, intended for wrath; we're not created for wrath." Well. The, the the reality is wrath is, has taken place in the old testament wrath is taking place in the new testament wrath takes place in the book of acts wrath of god is still taking place today so so in, in some senses we're not we're we are escaping the wrath of god because of the blood of jesus christ has caused us to no longer be under that wrath of god personally my take is very different than i'd say 90 percent of the uh, the teaching, when it comes to the Pentecostal Charismatic Church, is that we will escape the tribulation, uh, meaning that we'll escape the wrath of God. Uh, because I believe the the misinterpretation there is is that we're uh, placing the word tribulation for wrath, and, and those are two different things. Uh, because if you say we're going to escape the wrath of God, then we need to be gone already, because the wrath of God is already here. Uh, we the, the the world is under the wrath of God presently. And yet we have escaped it because of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we will escape the wrath of God without a question. And there's two different issues there and I'm not talking about end times here today. So uh, so basically um, the, 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 we, we are so to answer the question, we are not under the wrath of God as believers, but there is a wrath of God that we need to be uh, careful of. And then, then there's coming a day where the wrath of God will be poured out uh, upon all mankind who don't know Jesus. The last question, and I know we'll wrap things up there. Um, and this one is another one about the attributes, which I really appreciate. Uh, the, the 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 moving back and forth a little bit on speaking uh, about the attributes of God because it's been so dear to my heart uh, for well over this past year now. <coughs> uh, and then, uh, basically, it's a little bit a longer question, but I'll try to summarize it a little bit. The, I think the meaning of the question is: um, my comments have seemed to allude to the fact that there are. God is equal in all his attributes. There's not one attribute that shines brighter than others. Um, this is much debated because some people say the attribute of love is the greatest attribute that God has or grace if it weren't for grace, uh, certainly isn't grace a greater attribute than judgment or justice, for instance. So, and so there's there's the question of, of, you know, is there some attributes and, and so Moses proclaims, uh, here's the verse that came to the question, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents. And there are other verses similar to this that seem to highlight the compassion and mercy of God as maybe his most brilliant and shining of attributes. Well, I go back again to um, the uh, another attribute of God that is almost never discussed in church. Uh, I think we've talked about it once or twice, but most of us as Christians, I had not heard about it until maybe 18 months ago. And it's an attribute called the simplicity of God. And, and the simplicity of God, uh, again, we kind of talked about it in the first question, is that God is not made up of parts, um, that that everything he is, he totally is. Uh, so if he is love and if he is just, He's not part love, like 20% love and 20% justice or 30% love and 15% justice. He's fully just and he's fully love when uh, not, not that God has parts, So I can't, this is going to be a, a, a poor illustration, but if you could take one molecule of God and, and have it in front of you and inspect it, it would not be like, wow, God's mostly love, but I see a little bit of justice in there. No, that molecule would be 100% love. 100% justice, 100% mercy, 100% wisdom, 100% power, 100% omnipresence. All of God is all of God, all the time, in everything that He is. Uh, and so He's not in parts, and He's not moving back and forth. He, n- nor, nor is He. Um, if you were to say this part is stronger than others, let's say His compassion is His strongest part. Well, that would naturally then diminish His, let's say His omnipotence, His power. If his power was lesser in glory in in, in ability, uh, then okay, he can be compassionate. But but the problem you're going to have now is like okay, I, I really want to be compassionate on all of the staff at World Challenge. They really need my compassion. But you know what? I'm kind of limited in power, and I've used up so much of my compassion uh, over the past few months that that now I'm a little bit more limited in power. And so uh, and, and so. God's attributes are not balanced. It's not like I, I try to balance them all. They, they are in harmony. Uh, a difference between balance, uh, a, a balance is you're trying to make it work. Harmony is like a piano. You play three notes simultaneously and they, they ring together in harmony. So when God comes to you, even in his compassion, like this verse says, but he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He's, he's showing his harmony here. It's a chord. Everything that God has is is uh, is like a, a uh, this this musical harmony, this chord uh, to us. So I, my personal look at this is, um, you know, again, there, there's uh, um, I have all these books behind me that, uh, and you can study the doctrine of God and the attributes of God. And some will say love is His greatest attribute. Uh, some will say uh, compassion. Uh, some will say glory, the the glory of God, because He manifests Himself in glory quite often. You remember when He came to Moses. And Moses cried out, show me your glory. And that, that's one of his attributes, the the, glo- the glory of God. And God says, okay, I'll show you a part of my glory. You can see the back part of it, the, the hind quarters of my glory. And and when it passes before him, you know what the cry is? It's, it's, what you're seeing here is the goodness of God. Well, that's interesting, is, is God confused? He just said he's gonna show his glory, but what Moses sees is his goodness. Well, is his goodness his glory? Yes. Is his glory his goodness? Yes. Is his love his glory? Yes. Is his is his uh, omnipotence his glory? Yes. Is his glory his omnipotence? Yes. it, 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 it is one uh, thing in God, and I think it's important for us not to attribute to God a uh, to parcel them out in parts and say this one's better than others. The a couple quick dangers in that. One is that we end up um, sort of starting denominations or movements uh, that that are maybe some are more love and mercy based uh, compassion and then others are more like no, we're the holiness people, we're the righteousness of God and and uh, we hate sin and we don't drink and smoke and chew and you know and so there's that there's that and, and you can build camps and 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 create division you know most of our divisions are around the way we perceive the attributes of God. And so um, so God is, is seeing things uh, through this lens of all the totality of who he is. That's, secondly, that's a good thing for you and I, uh, that we will never be treated um, out of the measure of the fullness of God. Whenever he's treating us, it's exactly uh, all that we need. He's coming with compassion, but sometimes with, there's, there's a bit of correction involved in it. And there's wisdom that's brought to his love. Could you imagine he had love without wisdom? Or if his or if his lo- love had little less wisdom than it had love, well, he'd be making the same errors we have of, of uh, you know, uh, uh, being gullible and uh, being drawn into things that aren't true or discerning or accurate. All all these things are just God is one, and that's good news. Well, thank you for your time. It's been a as I've been talking, there's been this thing in the back of my head saying, uh, this this is very scholarly and heady, and and it's coming from a guy who's not scholarly or heady. Uh, I don't have a degree in divinity, and, and I'm not a scholar. I'm not, and I'm not articulate like uh, do that. But yet nonetheless, you know, uh, as I've been studying the power of God, he, he loves to uh, demonstrate his power through weak things, through weak vessels. He, he loves, if you look at the ant, uh, I think I might have said this to you before, the ant uh, can carry 75,000 times his own weight. Uh, you know, so that, that's incredible. Uh, and, and that's just, I think that was just one little way of God just, and then and Proverbs says, go consider the ant. Uh, the ant can, at the speed it moves with that weight on its back, it would be equivalent to us running with 75,000 pounds on our back uh, at 52, 52 miles an hour, uh, which I do CrossFit, but I can't do that. And so, um, so consider the ant, so small things. So. Today, it seems like we're talking about things that are, you know, ivory tower academics. But I want to encourage you, don't shy away from things that seem, you know, like, uh, you know, it's just, you know, I've heard people say, like, oh, I'm just a simple guy, I just want to love Jesus. Well, if you don't know him, you're not going to really love him very well. I love him more because I know of his aseity and his simplicity and his omnipotence and his omnipresence I, I love him more and I worship him the more I study these attributes of God uh, my my time in my study here has changed dramatically from you know hours of Bible open and notepad there and writing notes about things and looking at different commentaries to where now about every hour of that is broken up to about 15 minutes there's a chair over here and about 15 minutes of it is just falling on my knees before God with tears in my eyes and saying God I didn't I didn't know that I didn't know you. I didn't know you were this big. I didn't know you were this holy. I didn't know you were this good. Uh, I knew you were powerful, but I had no idea it was this kind of this power that so transcends what I know. I only know the word power analogically. It's like it it means something different to you than it means to me. Uh, Your presence means something different. And so the more I know these things, the greater the worship becomes. If you look at church today, you're going to see worship is mostly about me. uh you know you you you're taking me in you're taking me into deep oceans lord uh you're you're bringing me up unto higher heights you're you you've you've shown me yourself or you let me dwell in your presence They're all good things but the most of our worship today attaches the word me to it where if you look at the old hymns and I'm ranting here a little bit if you look at the old hymns what you're going to see there is very much an other centeredness about god uh not a me centered theology and doxology, but a God-centered one. And so as you study the attributes of God, you get into Scripture, you're going to move, like I've been saying in the past weeks, that trajectory from the miracle that touches me to asking the question, who is this man? And then this man starts saying, I and the Father are one. Now you're asking questions about about, uh, the divinity and humanity of Christ. And then all of a sudden he's saying, uh, they're going to throw rocks at him because he's saying he's claiming he's God. So now you're talking about the Trinity. And so you're moving from Oh, Jesus, I need you to answer my prayers. Help me in my physical body and my finances and in my emotional life and in my relational life. You're moving from that, although that's still there, into this glorious thing where you are becoming literally uh, theocentric, God-centered, Christ-centered, where he becomes your all-in-all, your great pursuit. So let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I do pray that the, the, the words today would Ah, uh, transition. They would have come out of my mouth through the microphone, through the speakers, into the ears of those who have their computers open, and, and somehow, miraculously, in the transition from words to ears, would come a Holy Spirit inspiration and make these things alive to us, God. How, how degraded we would be to to throw around theological terms like omnipresence or the wrath of God or the compassion of God or the omnipotence of God, and just see them as things that we would like to sort of take some notes on and to academically learn to understand and maybe try to throw out a few words that makes it seem like we can describe them. We can't describe them, God, you're indescribable. You, you are beyond comprehension. We can comprehend parts and limited scales of you, but Lord, you are far above and beyond. You are you outshine us all. You go uh, above and beyond. And so, God, we are asking for grace. Uh, Lord, that's Paul's. So many of Paul's prayers, and I, I want to pray one of them today, uh, that you might be able to comprehend the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God, and of the power of God and the mercy of God and the, and, and of the God of God thank you. We, we trust you. We love you. The Gary Wilkerson podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.